0: I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanyap That's Creole for something extra. Eight years into her marriage, Tiffany Dufu lived her life like a beautiful swan, a high-flying career woman who appeared to sit calmly on the water, managing family and work responsibilities while furiously pedaling beneath the surface. Like so many successful working women, she did it all herself and had no expectation that her husband could be a serious partner. Dufu finally found her equilibrium when she decided to stop doing. Her new book is Drop the Ball, achieving more by doing less. It's our May selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club, and Tiffany Dufu joins me here in the studio. Welcome, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. It's a great book. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, I'll confess I picked it up and I said, Tiffany Dufu will have to read it cuz I know you from Boston yes. and but I thought, wow, this is a book that I think we've discussed this before, haven't we? Yes, I'm thinking we have. I'm thinking in to myself, but I read it and realized that you have framed not only with a solution, which we'll get to later, but really for a new generation. That's right. So talk about the second shift, which is really what women have been struggling with, professional working women slash working mothers, and what that means and how you have framed that problem for the new generation.
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, I think you're quite savvy to recognize that It's not new. I mean, Arlie Hushchild, many years ago, coined that term, The Second Shift, and it's part of the reason why, initially, I thought, well, why should I write this book? It's already been said before, particularly as a women's leadership advocate. You know, my life's work is advancing women and girls. But I'll tell you the experience that crystallized for me why I should write this book at this time, which was that a couple of years ago, I was doing a lot of public speaking. I would speak largely to audiences of women, and I made this observation which was that every time I would speak for 45 minutes or an hour on collective solutions to our women's leadership conundrum, that we don't have enough women in leadership, and I would talk about things like equal pay for equal work, affordable child care, workplace flexibility, all of the things that I felt we needed in order to ensure that women could bring their full selves to the table and really thrive. As soon as I was done with my talk and I would open it up for the Q&A, The first set of questions I would always get were personal questions that to me had nothing to do with what I just talked about. So literally a woman would raise her hand and she would say, So Tiffany, my question is, you mentioned that you had a daughter who's five and that you have a son who's eight. You said something about your husband who's in Dubai right now, but you're in San Francisco with us. You live in New York. You're going to be in Baltimore tomorrow. I like your dress. I like your shoes. You seem happy. And healthy, you almost look like you go to the gym or something, and you have this career that's all about your passion and your purpose. And I'm just sitting here wondering, how are you managing all of this? And I would look around, and every woman in the room would be shaking her head and applauding like, yeah, I don't know what she's been talking about, but that is a question that I have been wondering the whole time she has been up there with her little skinny self (laughs) on the stage. And I just thought to myself one day, Tiffany, you're not responding, To the real issue here. And I had come up with this one liner that I would always say to diffuse that question. I would just say, oh, I just expect far less from myself and way more from my husband than the average woman. And that would get enough laughs that I could move people on to what I felt were more substantive questions about public policy and workplace solutions. But one day I just thought, you really need to meet women where they are. You can't expect them to come to where you are. That was something that one of my political mothers, Marie Wilson, taught me many years ago. And I just decided, you know, if your life's work really is advancing women and girls, you owe them a better answer to the question. And they're asking you the question, so you need to answer it. And, of course, I didn't want to because I would have to tell my dirty feminist secret, (laughs) which was that publicly I was this staunch feminist advocate for disrupting gender stereotypes in the workplace. But at home, I was just on Sephora Waffle Idol pilot. You know, I didn't really question or disrupt those expectations at home. At home, I was just moving on default. And really what happened was not that I intentionally developed some strategy to drop the ball. What happened was that all of my flawlessness, as you described it, a beautiful swan, managing flawlessly at home and at work, all came crumbling down (laughs) when I had a child. And I was particularly Incensed by a really bad case of what I call HCD in the book, home control disease, which basically meant that I wanted everything under my roof to be done a certain way, which was basically my way. And when I combined the pressure of all of a sudden adding one more thing to the plate, which was this child, and you don't even have to have children. If you've just been in a room with a small child, you can imagine that there can be chaos when you want perfection in your life or you certainly expect it. And I started doing For the first time in my life, just being overwhelmed as a new working mom, the one thing I was always most terrified of doing, I started dropping balls. And what I discovered is that the world doesn't fall apart when you do that. (laughs) Like no one comes to arrest you, you know, when you have a bunch of those orange parking citations because you haven't moved the car for alternate side parking. None of your friends call to tell you they're not going to be your friend anymore because you missed a party. And I decided... Well, why was I, if the world isn't falling apart, why was I so obsessed with perfection to begin with? Where did that come from? And how can I recurate the job descriptions that all of us feel that we need to be living out? And it was very hard. So I want people to
0: understand the context from which you are coming from. You're about to say where you got some of these ideas and mm-hmm. fell into these traditional roles. But in order for people to really appreciate where you are, let's tell them a little bit about your work and career history, because you've had quite the signature, as you say, women's leadership, feminist history. So you would be the last person that we would expect not to have it all together at home. So talk a little bit about that and where you are now, your chief leadership officer at Levo? Levo. Lavo. Yes. Yes.
1: Okay, so. so, you know, I'm the cumulative investment of a lot of people, particularly women who have helped me and supported me in my career. I'm originally from the Pacific Northwest. My first real role was in Seattle, helping to launch a new entity called Seattle Girls School. And then my husband wanted to go to business school, so he dragged me kicking and screaming to Boston. <laughs> and it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, we only grow outside of our comfort zone. And then we moved to New York. But in all of these moves, I basically was going from one woman to the next. My sponsor in Seattle, Janie Williams, said, when you get to Boston, you go find Lois Lindauer. When I was moving to New York, a mentor said, you go find Marie Wilson at the White House Project. And so that's how my career has been curated. I was a major gift officer for Simmons. And then I went to help initially raise money and then eventually ran a national women's leadership organization called the White House Project. And now I have what I would call a portfolio career. I work in a company that's founded by millennials, it's run by millennials. So I'm chief leadership officer at LAVO. It's the fastest growing network work for gen y women but i also work in companies i do a lot of public speaking and help them figure out how do we advance and retain the women who are in our ranks which by the way they're losing in droves mm-hmm. which is what led to drop the ball exactly. right because exactly. the real core of the question is well if all of us have been working on this women's leadership issue for so many years why is it that we're not able to create a dent. And because I am obsessed with advancing women and girls, I do something that I wouldn't advise most people to do, which is I say yes to every woman that reaches out to me. I meet with women on Tuesdays and Thursdays normally when I'm in New York at 9, 10, and 11 a.m. So over the course of a number of years, I've met with hundreds of of women, and I've listened to their stories, and there is a direct correlation I realize between a woman's ambition, her desire to achieve mastery of her craft, to get public recognition for it, to want to be in the C suite or whatever that is in your industry, and the amount of responsibility that she feels on the home front. And by the way, it's not always as wife and mother. I've spoken to women who are caregivers for their parents. As a young professional, I had responsibilities for my mother and my younger sister, so caregiving in general. But it really is difficult. Think about it. If you're overwhelmed, if you've already got a lot on your plate, do you feel like taking on more work? Nope. No. <laughs> I no. Barely... And all of a sudden it just yeah. hit me. You know, it was a Tiffany's Epiphanies. Well, of course, women don't want the, those higher levels of leadership. They're just trying to figure out and they're trying to manage. Here, You know, I want them to aspire to leadership. But what women were saying was, I get that in theory. But right now, I'm just trying to figure out how do I get out of the house at the right time with everyone with the right backpack and the right lunch. And that's, that's what this is about. If you're just tuning in,
0: this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and my guest is Tiffany Dufu, and we're discussing her latest book, Drop the Ball. It's our May selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar book club. So you went from being all that you've just described to falling in traditional roles at home, to, I thought, a pivotal moment in the book when you went through a real process of figuring out what matters most. And I wondered if you would read a little bit from your book, which capsulizes a little bit, and then we'll talk about it a little more. This is on page 96.
1: All women have a list of responsibilities they feel they need to fulfill. And too often, our sense of identity is wrapped up in doing them ourselves. As a result, many women try to curate their lives in a way that enables them to get as many things checked off their lists as possible. Maybe they consider working part-time, going into business for themselves, or staying in middle management to avoid additional work demands so that they can keep up with the domestic ones. The beauty of the comparative advantage approach is that it helps women shorten those lists and keep their eyes and energies focused on what really matters most to them.
0: So you went from being this HCD, having this household controlled disease, everything must be done my way with a list everywhere and making yourself crazy to saying, all right, what on this list really matters to me and what doesn't? And I'm just not going to deal with it. Talk about that.
1: Well, you know, what happens is that we all have roles that we occupy. If you're a woman, your first role was probably daughter. Maybe at some point you might have become a sister, certainly a friend, a student, at some point a worker, a citizen, maybe a wife and mother. And if you're ambitious enough, you by default put the word good in front of all of the roles. So you can't just be a daughter. You have to be a good daughter. You can't just be a friend. You have to be a good friend. Well, all of those roles have job descriptions associated with them that regardless of where you seemingly have grown up in the world, who your parents are, all women seem to know what's on the job description. And for example, I'm a big sister. And in my good sister job description, it says that I'm to respond to my little sister's text messages within two minutes. (laughs) Like every big sister knows that that's in the job description. If you're to be a good mother, you were to be there when your child takes their first steps. Every good mother knows this is in the job description. And by the way, men have their job descriptions too. If you are to be a good husband and a good father, you are to strive to be a breadwinner at all costs, even the cost of meaningfully engaging with your family. And I hope a man writes a book about dropping that ball. And so what I realized is that All of those job descriptions are curated by other people. One of the things I encourage women to do when I'm trying to workshop all of this is to ask themselves two fundamental questions in relationship to their roles. Just think about any one of your roles and ask yourself, what does a good ex do? What does a good worker do? What does a good wife do? And then the second question is, how do you know that that's what a good ex does? And it's an important question, especially for women women. Certainly like me, who feel that I was empowered, that I was in the driver's seat, that I was the most powerful change agent in my own journey, to come to terms with the fact that actually you're living someone else's story. No one's ever done that exercise and said, well, I made it up. No, you get these ideas from your home life. Certainly for me, a big part of it was my mother, the women in the church and what I saw, popular culture. My family used to watch the Cosby show. I was going to be Claire Huxtable. (laughs) I was going to have perfectly feathered hair. And I was going to have flawless makeup and I was going to waltz into the room with my flowy outfit and my House was going to be clean, and I was going to have five. Perfectly well-behaved, college-bound children. And in the second season of my life, I would make partner at a law firm. Right? <laughs> yeah. And you're laughing now. I know, I know, because but, but, I've been there. I mean, yeah. it's ridiculous, <laughs> yes, actually. It is, it is laughable. <laughs> yes, But we don't, no one tells us this, you know, until we hit this crossroad. So what I had to do was come to a point where I realized, Tiffany, what you do is far less important than the difference you make. Instead of you living someone else's job description... How are you going to figure out what matters most to you? And I did a bunch of things because I'm a seeker. But at the end of the day, it was really my mentors, you know, my sage mentors and other women in my life who helped me ask the difficult questions. And I eventually arrived at three things that mattered most to me. The first was advancing women and girls. Surprise, surprise. The second was nurturing a really healthy all-in partnership with my husband, which we hadn't really done before. And the third was raising conscious global citizens. And once you're clear about that, by the way, it's the first question that I ask women when they come into my booth, stress, what matters most to you? And I ask it because it's a big, gigantic question that no one knows the answer to because most of us don't spend our daily hours thinking about that. But once you're clear about it, then you can move to, well, what is my highest and best use in achieving what matters most to me? You see, if what matters most to me, for example, is raising conscious global citizens, then it's probably not my highest and best use to be spending all of my time making apple pies for the bake sale. You know, your highest and best use is a combination of what you do extraordinarily well with very little effort. And it could just be because you've got a lot of practice with it doesn't mean that you're a prodigy combined with what are the things that only you can do. So one of the things that I do really well with very little effort is to help other people achieve clarity through guidance and encouragement. Some people would call that coaching. One of the things that only I can do is instill values in my kids. It's very hard to outsource the installation of values in children. So my highest and best use in raising conscious global citizens, especially in today's world, is to engage my children in meaningful conversations each and every day. I'm my children's coach. What kind of day did you create for yourself today? Who did you laugh with today? If an alien spaceship came to your school and abducted one person today, who would they have abducted? Why would they have abducted that person? And in that way, I can help my children develop relationships with themselves, with other people. I can help them contextualize who they are in the world. Does it mean that my son doesn't need a doctor's appointment right now because he's got a little rash on his arm that I think might be eczema? No. Does it mean that my daughter really needs someone to get her a new pair of tap shoes because the ones that she has are probably a little bit too small? No. But what it means is that if I have engaged in that meaningful conversation each day through Skype or FaceTime if I'm not physically there, then I am a good mother.
0: So let me ask this, because I know people are saying, I agree with everything that you're saying, and good for you for mm-hmm. figuring out what matters most and how you can make a difference. Mm-hmm. But when you have to get the kid to tap shoes and get yep. the eczema and all this other stuff has to happen, but yes. it's not aligned with your highest and best purpose, yes. how do you get that done if
1: you're not wealthy? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and and I'm glad you brought up that point, because part of the reason why I went back in time with this book is because I thought it was very important to go back to the moment Before I had any monetary resources to outsource any of this, which quite frankly is the Band-Aid that women often do, we we still feel that it's our responsibility, so we just hire people to do it. I could not do that early in my career. And by the way, most women who are in middle management cannot do that. That really is a privilege reserved for women at senior levels or women who are married to men at senior levels, and it's, it's not practical. Some of the things when I went through the process, I discovered were not nearly as important as I was making them, right? And I had a very bad cage of home control disease. So I used to think things like marinating meat was very important, okay? (laughs) And now I can laugh about that, right? Because it's not at all. Some of the things I had to figure out how to delegate with joy, So some of the things I had to figure out, is there someone else in my village who could accomplish those things? And in the book, I center the narrative around my husband because, in fact, he was the person who was probably in the best position to help, but who, in my mind, was the least equipped to ever help me. And I want to pause you right there and let people know
0: that you may be thinking now, and I'm speaking with Tiffany Dufu, the author of Drop the Ball, Achieving More by Doing Less, that... This is all self-help little, you know, lists of things in the book to do. This is really a memoir, and it's yes. very entertaining. Yes. So I have to put that on the table for all of my listeners. that It is really interesting to read as yes. we learn these lessons with you. Continue.
1: Yes. Well, I, I've had actually people say that it's a romantic comedy. Yeah, you know, well, it's are, kind of like that. Yeah, romance. yeah, yeah. It's a, bit, it's, a bit of a rom, it's a bit of a romantic comedy uh, because <laughs> I really had to figure out, to your point, how to renegotiate the terms of this relationship. Relationship. And by the way, there were other relationships I had to figure out how to renegotiate the terms of. But I centered the book around this relationship because, remember, I had been on Stepford Wife autopilot. <laughs> so I had set up this expectation. And very early, I realized, well, I'm his solution to having it all. I see how it's going to work for him. What's going to be my solution to having it all? And I realized, you know what? He's going to be your solution, too. He's going to be your solution, too. So I really encourage people. And the book is helpful because you can see I take this huge page from Dr. Phil. I'm obsessed with Dr. (laughs) Phil's column in O Magazine where he takes you through having difficult conversations. And one of the things I realized is that I was much more effective in my professional life at preparing for conversations, for making pitches, for giving presentations that I ever was in my personal life. And so I decided, you know, I really needed to have more intentional conversations about why I'm on the planet. Why you're on the planet, what we're trying to do together, and what are the very small ways that you can help me be my best self, which is a much more win-win situation than what we normally do. And by the way, when you start having intentional conversations with people about what they expect of you in order to be a good anything, what you will likely find is that your expectation of what they need is often much higher than their expectation. Right. As I found out when I reached out to my sisters and explained to them, I was not going to be able to respond to their text messages so quickly. And they were like, "Okay, that's fine. We know, you're a bad mamma jamma. That's why we think you're a cool big sister. We're not going to think that you don't love us because you don't respond. I don't know what the big deal is, you know, but you you feel we feel the pressure still. The most interesting conversations I've started having are with my kids because they're now old enough to tell me what they think I need to be doing to be a good mother. And when I started having conversations with them, I learned that it's actually a lot easier you know, than what I would think. So in addition to having meaningful conversations, the other thing that I do have on my list is to make them scones from scratch. My kids seem to feel that that is what they need in order for me to be a good mother. They're not really into the conversations. They're into the scones. So, you know, wherever I am, I make sure I've baked them. I put them in foil if I'm going to be gone over the weekend. So I've got my meaningful conversations and my scones, and I'm good.
0: (laughs) Uh, Tiffany, I could talk to you all day, and I want everybody listening to me to know that this book is very entertaining. But it also, the exercises I really found, and they're not like Exercises, capital E. I E. Don't anybody get scared. But, <laughs> but, but we, we live with you through your process. And to see you go from where you were to where you end up with is really very wonderful. And it spoke also to someone like myself. I am not, I don't have a husband and I don't have kids. But the process of coming back to this point about what matters to you most and if you are living your life align with your highest and best purpose is really for everyone. It's for
1: everyone. <laughs> it in really fact, is. I was at a company a couple of <laughs> weeks ago when a gentleman came up to me after the Q&A for me to sign his book. And in all fairness to me, he had asked about his wife during the Q&A, and I asked what her name was so I could sign the book to her. And he said... No, my wife, he says, I need to drop the ball. He was like, I want you to write, Dear Scott, drop the ball now. Love, Tiffany. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect way to end this
0: conversation. I want to encourage all my listeners to get your book because it's fabulous. Thank, Thank you so you. much for joining me. To Thank talk you about. so
1: much for having me.
0: <laughs> Tiffany Dufu is the author of Drop the Ball, Achieving More by Doing Less. The book is available online and at bookstores now. Well, that's it for this edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find our show and links to stories we discussed today on the web at news.wgbh.org UTR. Listen to our show on the WGBH app and take UTR with you. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please write to us at undertheradar at wgbh.org. Our engineers are John Parker and Doug Sugarts. Andrea Aswahi is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH.